Hello and welcome to Million Dollar Monday. I'm your host, Greg Mazzello, bringing you real successful people with real useful advice for people with big dreams. I understand big dreams. I turned an investment of $200 and a lot of great advice from some really successful people into my big dream, Proforma, that today is a half billion dollar company. Today, I am excited to introduce my first guest that I would call truly a serial entrepreneur. Uh, By the age of 40, my guest today has owned, started, been president of, and sold four businesses. Uh, As part of running those businesses, he's managed over 350 people, grew sales of over $35 million a year, received a patent, and sold those companies for over eight digits. A magnificent accomplishment for somebody to be able to do all of that before the age of 40. Please join me in welcoming our serial entrepreneur guest, Eric Nashbar. Eric, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Those are a lot of accomplishments for a young man, and uh, Mm. most people that are listening probably hope someday they could start one business by the age of 40. So congratulations, Eric, on all of your successes. Thank you. All right. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your growing up years, your family background, and some of the influence that might have led you to think you want to maybe someday own your own business and or make a lot of money. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, a big, huge influence as I'm sure a lot of your guests have told you about is, you know, my father, he, 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 you know, in a time when being an entrepreneur wasn't like the thing, like it is now, uh, he was running businesses and starting things. And I remember him doing like a hairpiece business, you know, and then a design business and a, and then ultimately a bike business, which is uh, back in 73, which he started. And, you know, my mom was there too. And she was always being supportive and helping out and, and doing the things with the company and around the house. And, um, you know, but I, I, uh, I worked in the business as a kid. Um, you know, I got kind of, uh, you know, I remember specifically when I was eight or nine, my dad's like, you got to come to work one day a week figure out what day it is, but one day a week. So uh, that's what I did one day a week. The next year was two days a week and then three days a week until I was full time from the warehouse to the phones, to the customer service, to purchasing, to marketing. Bottom line, I just, that was my real education. I mean, other than going to college, I really, it was something where, um, you know, that's what I really learned. I learned not only all those different aspects of the catalog and direct marketing business, but I learned, um, you know, I learned about working, work ethic, and I learned about, um, you know, maybe how to start my own thing. So um, that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> All right. So that's a great background. And there's no better trainer than your own parents because you live it and breathe it and you even eat it at dinner talking about it. So it's a, it, it is Very a great much. way to have learned it. So, so then, okay. So you grew up in the family business or businesses, but take me then through in you, your college years and some of the early career stuff. I, I went to Rochester Institute of Technology, computer engineering. Um, I lasted a quarter and a half there. Uh, I, uh, I, I just hated spending 12 hours a day 
sure. in a computer room, you know, and I, I got a, it clearly just wasn't for me. I mean, yeah. so I, I transferred into photography and I realized I hated spending 12 hours in a dark room. So that, that, that didn't work for me either. So I kind of just floundered. I, uh, I went, I, I was, I really basically flunked out, you know, of RIT. Um, I went back to Youngstown State, which I'm from Youngstown, Ohio, and uh, didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just transferred there. One thing I realized is when you transfer schools, your GPA resets to zero. So that was a really good thing, you know. Um, so uh, I did yeah. that. And then I, um, I just started like, I didn't know what to do. So I went out west and I ended up at University of California, Santa Barbara through a couple okay. of additional transfers and really found a love of volleyball there, you know. And uh, I, I played volleyball more than I went to school again. I mean, class was just kind of a way to fake that I was doing something real, but I was yeah, playing yeah. a lot of volleyball. And uh, what I found from that is that I, I found a need and that I was looking for a size 12 high top leather volleyball shoe. And I kept ordering it from the companies were out there and they just never had them in stock and they just weren't doing the job. And I go, you know, I've learned this business. I've worked summers. I've worked all the time with my family business. I could do this better. So, and that's kind of the inspiration for my first company. And just to back up just a little bit, so our uh, our listeners have a better a better understanding, the the business that the parents were running, what was that called, and what did they do? Yeah, it was a bicycle company called Bike okay. Nash Bar, okay. bicycle parts and accessories, and um, uh, shipped from the shipped all over the U.S. and Canada. Right, and, right, 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 right. Yeah. And so, and so, what you're saying, you sort of understood that business. What you're saying is you transitioned what you learned in the bike business at bike Nash bar right. into uh, the new business that you started. What was that called? I started a company called spike Nash. Bar. I love so, it. <laughs> uh, it kind of had a similar ring. So I right, thought right. I'd, uh, you know, and to honor the family business, I thought that For was sure. kind of fun. So right, right. Um, started that right out of college in, uh, in 1990. And, okay. uh, you know, I grew it from, um, from really nothing to about uh, to about five million dollars a year, and uh, and uh, it was a nice company. It was it was fun. It was it worked hard. I remember I would get there at seven in the morning and work till seven or eight or ten at night. You know, every day, and um, just because I knew what I wanted and I knew it was and I and I tell you what, I borrowed some money from my parents, and I knew that if I didn't pay it back, in my head, I was thinking, I, I'm going to have to pay this back work the rest of my life to pay this back. Right. And, and it was just something that was weighing on me. And, uh, you know, to the point where I was, I, I got really down at a point where there was a point in the business where it was really tough and I was starting to lose some money and everything. And, and, um, and uh, lucky I got it turned around. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you start another business before you exited that business or did you exit that business and then start the next business? I exited that business. Um, um, there was the, the two companies. Uh, well, I became a couple of years into running the volleyball company, Spike Nash right. Runner. Um, I was growing it and, and doing well enough with it where the family company, Bike Nash Bar, said, hey, maybe we should join some of this together. A lot of the aspects, because when I first started the volleyball company, I started it completely separate. From the family okay. company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we did is we said, well, look, it was pretty clear that a lot of the back end stuff, a lot of the call center stuff, a lot of the fulfillment, a lot of it was similar. The only thing that was different was marketing and purchasing. Those were different. So we said, you know what? Um, 
let's put a lot of it together. And I said, I'll do that, but I got to run them both. And that's when I became the president of Bike Nash Bar. And that was in uh, 1992. Okay. So, um, so I took that business, Bike Nash Bar, increased the sales to 35 million. The biggest thing I did, though, is uh, I tripled the net income. So we tripled the value of it. And uh, over the nine years I was president, set it up really the family wanted to do was to ultimately sell it. So we okay. sold it in, uh, in 2000. So, and then right before that is when I sold the volleyball company, Spike Nash, but that was 99. So, so you actually, um, you brought the companies together for a period of time, but then you actually right. separated them and sold them separately. Sold them separately. Yes. The volleyball company sold in 99 and then the bike company was, uh, afterwards in 2000. I would assume you did that because you could get, at the end of the day, more money breaking them apart than selling them together, which is kind of surprising because you think yeah. all the operational efficiencies would go away, but maybe did, did other companies buy them that brought the operational efficiency? So at the end of the day, you had strategic buyers that, that didn't care about bringing along the operational efficiencies of both companies? Yeah, it was, they were, you know, more so Bike Nash Bar was a strategic acquisition. It was acquired by its main competitor, Performance Bike, uh, in 2000. So Performance was more retail store oriented than catalog mail order. And Bike Nash Bar was more catalog than, than retail store. So it, it obviously, you know, you could increase economies of scale and all these synergies that go together with an acquisition like that. So, so eventually both of those businesses sold. And then what business did you start? I started a company called uh, Choice Uniform, which is a school uniform catalog company, um, um, really addressing the private school market for school uniforms, uh, which was pretty much before that, um, more of a, you know, you'd go to the Catholic bookstores and things like that. And they would sell right. uniforms once a year. And I saw that they did a poor job at it really, because uh, they really weren't equipped for that when these big, huge lines and everything. So we did it through catalog. We did embroidery on demand. And I figured all that out. Um, didn't do very well. So, oh, no. Uh, no, that one didn't do very well. So I ended up selling that three years later. It was a strategic act. You know, I sold it to another uniform company. So I, I was able to get out, you know, not too much of a loss, but at a loss. But, um, you know, it just it, it, it didn't do didn't do great. So it was a failure. Um, but what I learned from it, though, is that when you have a business, and like I said, there was some luck involved in the businesses, obviously. I mean, a lot of hard work, but a lot of luck. You start to get this Superman mentality. I can do anything, you know? And what I realized was that was jumped into pretty quickly and really not <clears throat> well thought out. So that's what that's, you know, Looking at that now, I'm more careful about the businesses that I go into. I think the business was a good concept. It was getting to the economy of scale that I need to get to, yeah, right. to be able to buy those type of blank things overseas and bring them in to decrease my cost a bit significantly. I was buying them domestically, and I just couldn't get it to that level where, and that was the big hurdle, I think. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, sometimes when I talk about the pro forma story, I talk about the importance of being able to move from a critical mess to critical mass. And, <laughs> right, uh, right. and sometimes, right. sometimes the critical mess that 
sort of happens in the beginning years. And we can vision, we're entrepreneurs, we can vision what does it look like on the other side when we get to critical mass. But sometimes the um, it either takes too much money, too much time or whatever to get to the critical mass part. So bring me, bring me now to um, the next company. And if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I think you still run that company. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, It started off as deposit docs, which I looked at the, this was 14 years ago. Companies were not digitizing things like I believe that was possible and made more sense. They weren't, you know, like you, you go to a doctor's office and you still see rows and rows of these filing cabinets. You're like, why aren't they scanning this in and digitizing it? And right. I thought maybe the problem is in, in the fact that they don't know how to use a scanner correctly. The administrative people aren't using this or they're not doing it or they don't want to do it or whatever. Um, so what I did is I said, the way to solve that is what I would do is give people a toll-free fax number. And what they could do is they could fax the document into basically our system, which moved it into the cloud. And 14 years ago, the cloud was a really crazy out there. Yeah, it was revolutionary then. Yeah. Yeah. So we we did that. And then they could access their documents from anywhere, you know, like you do now. Um, So I I thought that was a really cool idea. And that that way, because everybody knows how to use a fax machine. Even administrative people, when they had a a problem with scanning, they just said, well, just fax it to this number and it puts it in our cloud space, you know, we could access it anywhere. So, and we were charging like, I don't know, 15 bucks a month for this service. So, you know, people that got it, the problem was that I didn't encounter is that it took so much time to get people to understand that this document was not lost. They would, they would fax it in and then still keep it because they were afraid they didn't know where it went. So, <laughs> So they weren't ready to. They still don't. Go ahead. Right, right, right. So, and so the weird part. So we were working on building, you know, and I and and I had a partner in that business who was a 50-50 partner. He did kind of all the programming and everything, and I did the business and marketing and stuff. What I realized was we're spending so much time educating people on this process. Just there was something missing. What we did find when we started really looking at our company was people just wanted a fax line. I was astonished. You know, I always thought people wanted me to, or I wanted to have something, the businesses that were successful were ones that were on the cutting edge of coming up with something new and a different way of packaging it. They just wanted a fax line, which seems so non-techie to me, you know, almost embarrassing for a while for me. So, and when we just transitioned and we changed the name of the company from Deposit Docs to Fax Better, it just took off. We were filling a need that we didn't even know existed or still to today. People, I say, I run a fax company and they go, don't you just take a PDF, attach it to the email and why would you use a fax? It still amazes me, the demand for this. And there's a there's right. reasons for that. But uh, it's, you know, we get a thousand new users a week. And really? we spend zero on marketing, zero, Greg. Because I don't want to find you. I really believe this company is headed for a fall someday, so I spend zero on marketing, nothing, and it's still a thousand people sign up every week. It's, it amazes me still, but hey, it is what it is. So, is it a uh, is it a, 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 is there a fee for joining, or how does it? What's the uh, economic <laughs> we model? 
we have a, it's, it's a freemium model. It's a, it's a freemium model that I developed, which is unique to my knowledge, where normal freemium models, you give your credit card and you get 30 days. And if you don't cancel in 30 days, they start billing. you, And nobody likes that because you have to remember to cancel and all that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so what I came up with is you, all you do is you give um, your email address and you hit send and that's it. And um, I call it the Coke machine. I, I, I learned this in, in school somewhere <clears throat> that everything should approach a Coke machine analogy in your e-commerce website. The Coke machine is one click, you put your money in, one click, and it's either delivers the product instantly cold exactly what you want, or it's a little red light comes on and says, nope, it doesn't work, click somewhere else, click. One, so we work in our websites to make everything Coke machine. One click, instant delivery, and if not, immediate feedback. So this is what we did with this. I said, how do I take this down from having everybody enter their credit card information, which is certainly not one click, down to one click. So we have them just enter their email address and one click. Now, what we do is we create what I call bookends where they have to receive a fax every seven days or they lose their fax number. On the other side, if they receive more than 30 pages or 50 pages now in any 30 day period, those faxes then are hidden and you have to pay me to get ah, your faxes okay. back. Okay. So if you're using it very sparingly, you need to receive a couple of faxes, no big deal. You know, use it for free. Then you know who we are if you need to come back. But that way it's very easy for people to get the free service, use it a little bit. You know, and the cost of goods are very large in this. So we can afford to do it on this freemium model. But it creates that ease of getting in the front door. Of the unique users that visit our site, 30% of them sign up, which is a huge number. For that's humongous. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And that's that Coke machine. And I think the, you know, that, that Coke machine is what does that. It's a clever model. So what's the future? What is the future for this in some Sometimes a good business strategy is milk the cow till it dies, right? You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Um, do you, I would think that the fax business over time is, you know, diminishing. Um, yeah. I would sure. think, but but maybe I, I'm, I've been wrong about a lot of things that I think. What's your, is your strategy just to continue to run it and grow it? It sounds like it's almost on autopilot now um, rather than try to seek another exit. It is on autopilot. Um, it's, um, I don't work that much at it right now because everything's kind of already set. Um, okay. And, but I, I'm uh, and it's gotten me into a point, I think of being a little lazy because I'm like, it's an annuity now, you know, it just works and I don't have to do much about it, okay. which is okay. You know, um, but I'm, I've already been moving in the direction of taking a similar that modified freemium model and moving it to, to create an app for texting. So if you wanted to get a second number for texting, you know, for a couple reasons, for dating, um, for, uh, for buying something on online on Craigslist where you need to have a communication with somebody in text, you need a text number just for a short period of time. Um, we can create that freemium model because all the other apps, there's a lot of apps out there doing that, trust me. But they're all this same kind of model of give me your credit card up front. And if we don't, if you don't cancel in 30 days, we'll charge you, you know that kind of thing so we're, we're we're playing with that right now and i'm yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have an announcement soon. well 
I know you're the kind of guy, just based upon what you've accomplished before you were 40, that have a lot of ideas brewing in your head. And uh, uh, it'll be exciting to see what the future brings. But let's go back and look at the past again. The four businesses that you've run, all of the ups, all of the downs. What advice would you get from all of those experiences? What advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening? Yeah, I'm. Um, it's a great question, Greg. I, I, uh, you know, we mentioned the, the failure in choice uniforms, but really, <clears throat> I've had tons and tons of failures in there. The thing is, is that you know, I come up with ideas, and everybody has ideas for businesses, and always the question is, oh, you got to do it, you got to do it. No, you don't. The the what I did is, is determining what ideas you do and what ideas you don't do, and what I did is I came up with some filters that I use and I encourage any of your, you know, the watchers out there to do the same thing is to come up with the filters that make sense for you. For me, I mean, I have a list. I believe that when you start a business, you should have a customer base that it has a, it's a, has some kind of sustainable competitive advantage, something that sets you apart from everybody else. That's number one. Number two, I like reoccurring revenue stream businesses. In other words, you sell once and you collect almost forever. You know, I like the, right, right. yeah. Um, I like high margins. Um, I like many small customers or many small customers instead of a couple large ones, because what I I kind of break that down to when you have a job, you have one customer, your boss. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, so if you want to get away from that, why would you start a business with three customers? You know, because you have three bosses then is what it comes down to. So I like hundreds or millions of customers where if somebody says, you got to do it different, I'll go, well, I don't really need you. You know, exactly. I'll just move on. I like that. I like that viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and um, I like to go after areas that are very strong, uh, very um, growing quickly and uh, very profitable. Actually, what I like to do is, I like every year when the Inc. 500 comes out, Inc. 5000, I love looking at that list. It gives me ideas on underserved markets, the way I look at it. I mean, you know, because they're like, if, you know, people are growing businesses, they either have some very sustainable advantage or they've hit on a market niche that nobody's addressing. So maybe that's an area, you know? And um, lastly, for me, it's like, you know, I like to do something versus do nothing. Because even if you're doing something, you're going to learn something from it, like the choice uniforms example. And, right, right, right. Even what to look for, like what are some of the certain things that, that – I love the word filter because sometimes something might get through one level of filter, but then you get to the margins or whatever the next filter is, and it doesn't make it. So you move on to the next one. I, I, I really like that. All right, Eric, most of the people I've interviewed uh, for Million Dollar Monday are much older than you. And, uh, 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 and they're sometimes when I ask them this question, their dreams are more about, you know, the, the, after they sell their one business or whatever, you know, giving back or whatever. And, and yet you're still a young guy in your young fifties. So you got lots of runway left, lots of life left, uh, God willing. And, and, uh, I know you're healthy and take care of your good, good care of yourself. What dreams do you have for the rest of the long life that you have ahead of you, Eric? Um, well, uh, you'll enjoy, I play a lot of poker 
actually. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually going to play tonight with a friend. But that's um, just it. But for more, more so, I've found I really enjoy um, coaching or mentoring entrepreneurs as they come up. Um, I started a group, co-founded a group with a friend of mine um, who we call it the Incubator of Florida, where we look for small companies, not necessarily ones that we want to invest in. I mean, there's obviously investments to make money on, you know, and help and kind of lend our support and help in that way. But also from the other side, kind of a philanthropic way, maybe somebody that needs a helping hand. It's not necessarily a money maker, but it's something nice that we can do to help somebody out. So we look for companies like that. So it's kind of a pseudo philanthropic kind of a hybrid there. But, um, and also I've, 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 with that, you know, with coaching and mentoring, you know, there's also the avenue of um, like I mentioned there, some venture capital investments. And I made a couple of those. Um, there's a salon in Fort Lauderdale that has a really unique uh, membership model uh, for blow dry bars, which you and I, I would not know what this is, but women get this done. I'm sure Vera knows what this is. So, um, and uh, another one, my Porter, which is a, um, it's a self storage, but again, something different where they pick up and deliver your stuff for you. So a couple little fun things, but that keeps me interested, but that don't have to be day to day on those, you know, which is nice. Um, but, and again, like I said, the texting company and always thinking of new things and running it through the filters and, you know, right, 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 right. you know, it goes, but yeah. Well, I have no doubt, Eric, that as you continue your pursuit, just what a clever idea to be looking at the Inc. 5000 for inspiration and ideas by itself. But uh, knowing what you've accomplished before the age of 40 and knowing everything that you learned, all the wisdom and of course the financial resources that you garnered from all that, I have no doubt that you have many brilliant decades of success ahead and I look forward to catching up with you uh, somewhere down the road and, and, and reconnecting and doing this again. Eric, thank you so much for your time. 